Welcome back. I hope you all out there are having a great day. I want to know how you're feeling. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to hear your ideas about everything from impeachment to the John Durham investigation to the craziness that's happening in our culture, culture clashes. This is the Sarah Carter Show, and I'm coming to you from Radio America. I am a fellow with the Independent Women's Forum, and you can follow me at sarahacarter.com. All of my stories are there, as well as Jenny Tears. And we have new reporters, new writers coming to us every day, and we're going to post those stories at sarahacarter.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. I'm almost at 1 million. Sarah Carter DC. Follow me on Twitter and keep up with all of the latest stories. Subscribe and give us a five star rating on your podcast app. Do not forget to do that. We love to look at those and we love to see what you guys are thinking. But uh, please give us a five star. <laughs> that would be nice. Today we have a really big show. We have a a Carter Page here today, and for those of you who do not know who Carter Page is, uh, you haven't been following my stories, because I have been writing about Carter Page now for almost three years, and he is at the center of everything that happened to the Trump administration. Remember, Carter Page was a short-term volunteer, foreign policy type of advisor for the Trump uh, campaign. Uh, And he joined the Trump campaign early on, and it was only for a short period of time. In fact, Carter Page never even really met President Trump. He kind of worked with those senior level officials. But lo and behold, what do we find out during the process of the whole unraveling of the FBI's malfeasance and uh, then the Obama administration's DOJ? uh, The CIA, by the way, is also connected uh, and the NSA, uh, former James Clapper. What we discover is that Carter Page became the target of the FBI. And he became the target of the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign, by the way, which funded which funded uh, Fusion GPS, which was a private research, uh, basically a private research firm led by Glenn Simpson. He had worked with the Wall Street Journal, funded these guys to basically collect a dossier on President Trump. The dossier was compiled by a former British spy, MI6 British spy, Christopher Steele, who was basically gathering information from former has-been Russian spies. Has-beens, guys, has-beens. He never even validated anything in his dossier. He just went around collecting gossip from people who were basically uh, putting disinformation, Russians putting disinformation into a dossier to create chaos in the United States. So when the Democrats tell America that they are trying to protect and remember all of these claims, oh, it was the Russians, the Russians, uh, you know, wanted President Trump to be president. They, it was the Russians that did this. No, it was the Democrats... By paying for this dossier that was filled with Russian lies that were spreading disinformation from Russia because President Vladimir Putin really didn't care who won this election, whether it was Hillary Clinton or President Trump. 
all the Russians cared about was wreaking havoc in our country and dividing our nation. And we gladly have turned that over to them ourselves. They don't really have to do anything because we are so divided and we're not talking to one another. And our politicians are ripping each other apart up on Capitol Hill with impeachment inquiries into the president, not allowing him to do his job and continuously putting out lies and slanderous uh, accusations about people in either party. I want you to think about that. So Carter Page became the center of this. Why? Because the FBI targeted him. Because the FBI basically, now we know from Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report, this is the Inspector General of the Department of Justice, his report revealed that the FBI manipulated uh, the FISA applications. This is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Application Warrant that goes to the most secretive court in the land. And why is it so secretive? Because it allows our government to basically issue a warrant against someone to spy on them without any representation whatsoever. And it allows the government to basically no holds barred, gather communications, your telephone communications, your emails, everything that you're doing. And that's what happened to Carter Page. And when they were spying on Carter Page, it wasn't just about Carter Page, folks. They were spying on secondary and tertiary communications. That means anybody Carter Page was talking to and then anybody that that person was talking to. And that's why they did it. James Comey signed off on the warrants. Oh, hey, by the way, Rod Rosenstein who's now no longer with the DOJ, is going to work in a private firm. Remember Rod Rosenstein, who was appointed by the Trump administration and then basically uh, appointed Robert Mueller, special counsel, to uh, investigate uh, Trump and open up this big investigation. Yeah, that guy signed off on one of them. Uh, Sally Yates from former DOJ, she signed off on them. Very high-level officials. And now what we know is that, you know, basically they lied. They lied to spy on page. They lied to the court. The court has now issued uh, basically a, a letter and a warning saying that the attorney, and I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this because for a lot of you, you don't know all of these names. These are all kind of new people and, and officials. All, look, you know what? All you need to know is that they trampled all over the Fourth Amendment. For unreasonable search and seizure. This is not just about Carter Page, people. This is about all of us as Americans being lied to, being spied on, and being used. And Carter Page was being used because they weaponized a system that was meant to protect us from terrorists, meant to protect us from criminals, FBI, uh, CIA, meant to protect us from overseas threats, right? They weaponized that against an incoming presidential candidate, and then against a sitting president, a duly elected president of the United States. That's all you need to know. And if that doesn't sound like a banana republic, I don't know what does. Right? I don't mean to be kind. I'm not trying to be flippant. But like all you have to do is go to other countries where I've been, like Pakistan, and you're like, oh, I wonder when the coup's going to happen. Because everybody's working against everybody else because this, the government itself is it, – there's no control. There's no justice. There's no real oversight. So their intelligence agencies kind of work against their military and then work against the government. And then everybody's kind of spying on everyone and they're weaponizing systems and the people are just left out to dry. 
I don't mean to pick on Pakistan. I just bring that up because I, I saw it happen there. Um, and so we just never believed as Americans that it would happen here. Uh, I'm going to let Carter Page tell you his story. And I think you'll be fascinated by it. And he also breaks some news in there. And I hold his feet to the fire on, you know, some issues that I think will be really important to you where he, you know, he's very good about not answering all my questions. He's a great guy. He's a true patriot. And you're going to love listening to him. But right now, I want to just jump to a story that I actually broke this week. And um, it deals with Iran. And I'm just kind of kind of switching it up here. Um, I know this will interest you, but, you know, the targeting of Qasem Soleimani, you know, before Soleimani um, was taken out by President Trump, it was a very decisive decision, and I'm sure it was a very difficult decision. And according to people that I've spoke with at the White House, the president is very methodical. He didn't, you know, he really thought this thing out. He saw all angles here. He is incredibly apt at looking at all sides and then making a decision very quickly, because the killing of Soleimani was based on actionable intelligence. You got to think about this. At the very moment that Soleimani debarked from that plane and got ready to head into the SUV at Baghdad Airport, we had to have eyes on him. We had to have known that he was on that flight coming in. That means, I'm guessing, there are people in the inside of Iran, inside the Iranian government, right now giving information to the United States. Probably. And maybe we have really good eyes in the sky. We have great resources, great capabilities, great intelligence, great ISR capabilities with our drones. Um, And we were able to take this man out, this terrorist leader, by the way, who I've known for many, many years because he was responsible for the maiming and killing of U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan, for U.S. soldiers in Iraq. And when I covered the war there in both of those theaters of war, I was hearing about Iran all the time and Qasem Soleimani, but nobody ever wanted to do anything with him. Why? Because he kind of was cloaked in this protective cloak of like government official, you know, power. So nobody wanted to really target him because they thought, oh, my gosh, World War Three with Iran. Right. Ah, Don't do it. Don't target Soleimani. Bush ran away from it. Obama ran away from it. Everybody saw money was actually partying. He was showing up in Baghdad on the front lines, putting his picture everywhere. You know, this guy's running the goods for us, right? He's and then all of a sudden we get this information that Soleimani is planning to target Americans again. This wasn't just, you know, we had already lost a contractor. Americans were injured. Um, and then the attack on the embassy in Iraq and Baghdad. And then later here, Soleimani. So the president did the right thing. He took him out. He assessed the situation. Iran responded very weakly because they do not want a war with us. Trust me, they don't. And now what we know, and I reported this week, is that it was so effective, the targeting of Soleimani was so effective, that terrorists are now fleeing Iraq. It is no longer a safe haven. No longer a safe haven for any of these proxy Iranian groups or these leaders. And Al-Qaeda, as well as ISIS, they are hearing chatter. U.S. intelligence is collecting chatter and communications that they're either going into hiding or they're fleeing the region, fleeing Iraq altogether. Because they, you know what they're saying? If Iran can't protect their most precious asset, Soleimani, from a direct strike by the United States What the heck are they going to do for us? I can tell them nothing. They're going to do nothing. They are just, that's it. 
you got to flee, right? You're a terrorist. You're on the run. When you live by the sword, you die by the sword. At least bye-bye. That's what we're hearing. So they're out. They're out of the picture. That's a great, um, I guess, what you would call secondary effect of this targeting. And uh, and then last but not least, let's go to impeachment. And I only have to make this really short. Guess what? Nancy Pelosi still doesn't want to give up the articles of impeachment, even though everybody believed that she would. People were saying the dam's going to break today. The wall's going to collapse. Nancy's going to turn it over. Look, Dianne Feinstein is just screaming mad at Nancy Pelosi right now. There's others like Adam Smith. He's a Democrat um, head of the House Armed Services Committee. He's saying, look, just turn them over. Just turn over the articles, Nancy. She is like clutching them so tightly, so tightly. She just doesn't want to let them go. It's like a kid. You can't pull the blanket out of their hand. You can't pull the articles of impeachment out of Nancy Pelosi's hand. Actually, she, it's, it's sad. She's like holding on to them and crying because she doesn't know what to do because it's just a big mess, right? So she's just holding on. She's holding on. I don't know what she's waiting for. But um, Congressman Matt Gates actually had a really funny tweet today, and I busted out loud laughing at the Starbucks. Yes, I did drink a Starbucks today. But here's the tweet from the Florida congressman. Find yourself a woman who holds you as tight as Nancy Pelosi holds her articles of impeachment. <laughs> I just can't even i'm just sitting here looking at adam he's laughing that's jenny's laughing i mean it is pretty it's funny it's funny um and i don't know when it was so unexpected you know when i was standing there in line and i saw that tweet i'm like yeah that's exactly it i mean she's just not letting go okay i'm gonna bring carter page on in a few minutes um i want you to hear this interview it's incredible uh but i also want to hear from you and this is really important to me and i want you to get, you know, I want to see your tweets. I'm going to have Jenny put it out there so that we can read your tweets here on the podcast. And we're going to do that when we close out the podcast. So please stay and listen to the podcast because we will be reading your tweets and reading your ideas. I want to know what you think about John Durham. I want to know what you think about the articles of impeachment. I want to know everything. I just want to hear what you have to say. And I want to put it out there. And I want to give you guys some airtime. So please, 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 whenever we put these... uh these uh, tweets out there where we're asking for your thoughts and ideas, what we're going to do is we're going to read them on the air. We're going to talk to you about what means uh, most to you. So follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. That is Sarah Carter DC. Please follow me on Twitter and we will we will do our best to get your tweets out there. The best of the best tweets we will put out there. And then not only not only those, but uh, some of the worst of the worst we'll read. So it, whether you like us or hate us, we're going to talk about it. That's you. always fun, too. It is. It's so much fun. Yeah, especially, you know, whatever. If you don't like it, then just let me know. Or if you don't like something, let me know. Or if you don't like someone, let me know. We get, we get out there, you know. Uh, and without delay... I want you to hear this interview with Carter Page. It's incredible. He is an incredible man at the center of one of the biggest um, modern political scandals in American history. He is a true patriot um, and has become my friend after three years of covering this story. And I have so much sympathy for what he has gone through. He has been through death threats. Um, Adam and Jenny, I know you've seen some of these stories of mine. He has had death threats. He has had to fight against some of the most powerful people in Washington, D.C. And for a good portion of this time, he was really alone. Um, he couldn't talk about the work that he did with uh, the CIA or even with the FBI. 
because he was uh, not allowed to do so. Uh, but when the horror, uh, actually when Horowitz report came out, uh, that changed everything for him. So I hope you enjoy this interview, guys. Uh, hello, Carter. Are you on the Hi, line? Hi, Sarah. Hi. I'm with you, yeah. I'm so happy to be talking to you today because there is so much news breaking. And, uh, you know, I've been talking to the audience, uh, giving them kind of a background brief on who you are and what you've been through. And you know this. I mean, we've known each other for a while now since since all of this uh, started several years ago. And when your name was first made public. Uh, but a lot of things that you could tell me back then very little you couldn't say publicly um, and I kind of want to take everybody back to when you and I first met uh, and then go into your story because I think it's so fascinating when the stories first started breaking on you particularly with radio the story on Radio America then later a story in Yahoo News your name was basically slandered they had accused you of being a spy for the Kremlin, um, uh, some kind of covert operative with Russia, with all these crazy Russian connections. Um, it really destroyed your name at that time. It was almost as if it was a disinformation campaign. And just so our audience understands, when I first met Carter, because of that, uh, it, there were threats against his life. And Carter would actually have to meet with me. And if he met with anyone in Washington, D.C., he would be wearing a baseball hat and a jacket and be very low-key. And it always felt like any of the meetings I had with you were so cloak and dagger because there was so much concern about what was going on and at the time there was so much you couldn't say can you talk a little bit about that time and then we'll go back to the trump campaign and why you joined well sarah i think you know to your point and it, it really is a tribute to you and a small handful of other journalists who were really uh, listen to the truth i mean and you were kind enough to reach out to me way back at the very origins of this story and you actually told the truth, and I was always very forthcoming and honest with you and your honest journalism and really, you know, telling the facts as they were really got to the, you know, we're, we may be uh, for uh, a broader, bigger audience now sort of uh, telling the full story, but you, you kind of knew the full story and reported on it honestly from the very beginning. So uh, a huge tribute to you and uh, – you know, uh, I, I think you and uh, a small handful of others, I know journalists that you've worked with, including right. Sean Hannity and John Solomon, uh, over the years have, have really, you know, been at the forefront of, uh, of uh, exposing the truth. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of months has really been the, uh, you know, the uh, the realization of what you've known for a, a very long time. But, oh, yeah. well, thank you, Carter. But, you know, it was so difficult during that time. And it was something that a lot of us weren't willing and, and the few of us weren't willing to give up because we saw what the yeah. truth was. But we were up against a machine, uh, the same type of media machine, this I would say this this anti-Trump uh, hatred allowed them to be swayed by sources that. I think they actually believed they could trust at the time. But I think that their own animus towards the Trump administration destroyed that for them. And this machine went after you. It was a disinformation campaign. And at the time, I want you to describe to the listeners 
what it was like for you as an American citizen, knowing that you had been spied on, knowing that your name was being destroyed in the mainstream media and not just in the United States, but across the globe. I want you to talk about, you know, you're an intelligent man. You are a graduate of the Naval Academy. You had contracts overseas. You had a business. You have a business where you're dealing with people all the time. And now here you are faced with this type of hatred and animus and these lies. Can you talk a little bit about what what was going on in your own personal life and, and how you dealt with that? Well, look, Sarah, and I, I think, you know, right when these stories were starting, in the summer of 2016, and even a little bit before that, uh, you know, it was it was really a political operation. This is, as we now know, anyone who has read the U.S. Department of Justice uh, Inspector General report, you know, the full 480-page document, as I know you have, and or even just the short executive summary of less than 20 pages at the very beginning you know, knows that this was a disinformation campaign paid for by the Democrat National Committee, right? The DNC and their operatives uh, led a smear campaign, which worked in conjunction with the Obama administration and senior top political officers uh, going all the way up the chain in the U.S. government. And so that process really went throughout uh, began in 2016 and continued for quite some time thereafter. So it, it really was a, uh, a large-scale effort. And so essentially, these Democrat operatives were, uh, you know, trying everything to get this story out there in the media. And I, so I would get constant calls. And members, you know, senior uh, members of the Trump campaign, I was just a junior volunteer, uh, you know, I, I've actually never uh, met President or candidate Trump. And but unfortunately, I, I we kept, you know, both me and top members of the campaign kept getting asked these questions constantly. And, and this uh, is what but, I want to know, stop right there, because I want to ask you, because I want our listeners to know. Carter, how you became involved in the Trump campaign, because a lot of them, they see these stories, but they don't really know the details, you know, and this is coming from the horse's mouth, right? This is from you. How did you become a part of the Trump campaign? Yeah, look, I think I I saw what then candidate Trump was calling for in terms of changes to U.S. foreign policy in 2015. And I, you know, decided this is absolutely the right strategy for America. And so I, uh, you know, knew some people I had worked with uh, previously in, in New York. You know, I expressed my interest and they were kind enough to uh, make an introduction. And so, you know, this is kind of late 2015, early 2016. I had uh, I just volunteered to offer a helping hand as a, uh, you know, concerned American citizen, you know, private sector, uh, someone who had not, you know, I served in the military decades ago, but hadn't officially been a, uh, you know, a paid government employee for for many decades, hadn't lived in Washington or the Washington area for many decades. And I I just saw an important uh, opportunity and things which then candidate Trump was saying in terms of the, the 
future of America and what needs to be done in a foreign policy context. And having spent many decades working in the foreign policy arena, both in think tanks as well as in the private sector of uh, business, I, you know, volunteered to offer uh, what I could. So um, I reached out to them kind of uh, at the, uh, you know, turn of the new year in 2016. And, you know, we started a dialogue and, uh, you know, I was uh, able to uh, volunteer in uh, in early 2016. Yep. And that's what you did. I mean, you were a volunteer. You were not paid on the campaign. You never met with President Trump. Not that it would have mattered either way, but you really wanted to give your service to your country this way because what you saw in President Trump at the time was somebody who kind in 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 the best way possible, uh if I'm explaining this right, aligned himself with your mindset on how to approach foreign policy. But it wasn't just the Democrats that were leaking information at that time. Fast forward to 2016 and and all the stories that were coming out in the fall, even though the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee had actually paid and funded Fusion GPS to go after President Trump and create this salacious dossier with this uh, former MI6 British spy, Christopher Steele, who put together this uh, basically unsubstantiated dossier that was used against you in those leaks. We find out that it was agencies that were involved. Not just Democrats on the Hill leaking information, trying to smear you, but then comes the involvement of the FBI that was investigating you and spying on you, and then the connections to the CIA, connections to foreign intelligence. And you were basically just targeted and wrapped up into the middle of this unbelievably historic, crazy, what I call a spy operation on this new administration. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and campaign, you know, I mean, you talk about election interference. I think just from a causation standpoint, what was really driving this, you know, and I think this this actually comes out directly. It's in the pages of the IG report. You know, if uh, this operative, this DNC paid operative was, uh, you know, feeding disinformation into the uh, U.S. intelligence community. So they definitely, you know, FBI and CIA definitely made some very serious, very egregious mistakes. But, you know, one of the primary drivers of this was the Democrat National Committee and right. their operatives. So, and their operatives you know, really and, a- and people that were actually spying at the time. I want to play a clip. I want to play a clip. This is from you on Sean Hannity's show. Adam, can we play clip number one? Asset for a three-letter agency that put his life at risk, that cooperated with our intelligence agencies, and they purposely took that out and changed it to screw you, spy on you, and take your civil liberties away. Sad day. Yeah. Well, again, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Director Race finished his letter with saying, protect the American people against threats and uphold the Constitution. Unfortunately, it was the absolute opposite. And, you know, it had I had tons of death threats related to these false media reports, which were also misleading the court. I know. It was incredible. So let's talk a little bit about that, because this is very important. And the IG pointed this out in the report. For a long time, you were unable to speak about any of your connections, basically with U.S. intelligence. 
And well, look, I'm yeah. I, I was trying to be professional, right? You know, and I had worked in the uh, you know again starting with my time in the military. Uh, back, you know, I became uh, an officer in the Navy. I, I, you know, as you mentioned, spent time at Annapolis, graduated from there. Then uh, throughout, you know, uh, 93 to 1998, I served in the military and, you know, had some interactions and spent some time with the CIA and, you know, developed relationships and, you know, served my country, right? So unfortunately, uh, and I always tried to be professional, uh, as professional as possible and kind of, you know, careful as possible with uh, my support of those operations. Uh, and that kind of was both within government and in the decades after uh, my time in government. You know, I, I as you say, I, I served my country. And unfortunately, there's a difference, right? Because some of these other operatives, including, you know, the DNC's consultants, were uh, were working with the government and unfortunately uh, not only giving disinformation, but also, you know, in parallel being paid to uh, distribute that dis- disinformation to the media. And you're talking about uh, Christopher Steele, correct? Are you talking about? Yeah, but, there, but it's a larger operation. You know, I mean, he's one of many people. And I think Stephon you know, Halper. What we've seen. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I think there's been a lot of reports out there. I'm, I'm very, you know, essentially, I have been very cautious. I've been very meticulous, as you have been meticulous, Sarah, Correct. in your reporting. I want to know for sure. I don't point fingers at people until there is really some very solid evidence. And, you know, it's been firmly established that these things have, uh, have actually happened. So, Well, one of the things that we do know, and it's absolutely true, and for the listeners out there, I want you to understand, Carter Page, since the moment I met him, has been absolutely meticulous in what he says. He has never over-exaggerated a claim, never talked about things that he was not capable of talking about because... Either there was some non-disclosure rules. Uh, what we know now, though, based on the IG report, which is public, which is public, is that the CIA did send information to the FBI and uh, FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith altered the email that had the information that came from the CIA that said this Carter Page, he checks out, he's a great guy, whatever, you know, whatever they said, he's worked with us, he checks out. And Kevin Kleinsmith, uh, who was with uh, the FBI, omitted that and did not include any of that, in fact, changed the email when they submitted it to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to seek a warrant on you to spy on you. How did that make you feel when that report came out and it was just straight up? It was like, finally, I can talk about this. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's here's the thing, Sarah, and it, it kind of uh, it actually raises. I know we're we're getting into a lot of the very important uh, historic details here, and uh, it, it it brings me back to a, a question you were asking earlier about, uh, you know, what what it was like and, you know, what, what were the personal implications for myself? And what happened was, I mean, that's a perfect example. And you had specifically addressed that in terms of all the death threats, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a long series of meetings. You know, again, I had worked and worked and supported 
the CIA and FBI for many, many uh, years. And so, you know, I had a, a long series of meetings, about 10 plus hours in March of 2017, just uh, a couple months after the election, you know, less than two months after the election, we started, went throughout the month, most of the month of March of 2017. And, you know, one of the main concerns I had that I told the FBI agents throughout March 2017 is all these death threats that I'm getting from this DNC funded disinformation campaign that they were pushing with the media. And so that was one of the main requests uh, that I had for uh, for government agents. And unfortunately, uh, that gentleman, uh, Mr. Kleinsmith, you know, the FBI lawyer that you just asked about, um, you know, I was in contact with him and, you know, some uh, lawyers who were helping me at the time were in contact with him the following month in April 2017, when they had another, you know, step in the media and government disinformation campaign related to my former, my prior support of the FBI in early 20, uh, 2017, there is this report about, you know, me being a, uh, an FBI source previously. And I got more death threats, you know, from some of the people who had been coming after me. And I, you know, informed uh, Mr. Kleinsmith about that. So, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as you've been saying, and as we keep saying, it's the, uh, it's been the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, I, I, I am very encouraged and appreciative that last month, uh, Inspector General Horowitz and his team started uncovering this, but, you know, there's so much more. Uh, and to me, you know, these life or death situations that the DNC inform, uh, disinformation campaign created for myself and so many other Trump supporters and, you know, volunteers on the Trump team, uh, that is a, uh, a huge issue. And, you know, I think some of the rep, uh, important revelations you've talked about uh, and just just mentioned are really the uh, tip of the ice smoke. I, so I, re- I really fun. believe that, too. And I want to play something because some of these DNC officials, one of them being uh, uh, or lawmakers, let's just put it that way, is uh, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff. And I want to play you a clip of Adam Schiff, who is basically refusing to apologize. And for some reason, even though he knows the truth, right, even though he knows the truth, he's seen the report, he just keeps veering elusively back to Russia. Let's hear this clip, and then, Carter, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Carter Page says that the FBI spying into his life ruined his good name. That's a quote. He also says that he will, quote, never completely have his name restored. Do you feel any sympathy for Carter Page? Uh, I have to say, uh, you know, Carter Page came before our committee and dissembled for uh, hours of his testimony, denied things that we knew were true, later had to admit them during his testimony. Um, It's hard to be sympathetic to someone who isn't honest with you when he comes and testifies under oath. Um, It's also hard to be sympathetic uh, when you have someone who is admitted to being um, an advisor to the Kremlin. But then was also informing the CIA. Yes, yes. Which we didn't Um, know about. Who was apparently both targeted by the KGB, uh, but also talking to uh, the United States and its agencies. That's crazy because 
You could say that about anybody who worked in intelligence or anybody in the private sector that came in contact with anybody overseas. You could say that about me. I was on the ground in Pakistan. I dealt with the Taliban. I dealt with people that were connected to the Taliban. I am not a supporter of the Taliban, right? You know that, right, Carter? What do you think when you hear this? It's hard to be sympathetic, and he doesn't let go. He doesn't let go. He it's it's almost as if he's creating his own disinformation campaign about you, even though the reporter is saying, look, you guys have destroyed this man's name. Well, I, I informed the FBI agents uh, my meeting. You know, there was a historic moment on March 20, 2017. There was a big uh, House Intelligence Committee uh, testimony by then FBI Director James Comey. Right. And this guy uh, that you just, you know, played the clip of uh, uh, Congressman Schiff asks, you know, starts saying on national television on really, you know, all the all the major networks that, uh, you know, reads this disinformation that his DNC threw out there. You know, this uh, and he I think he may have referred to this Christopher Steele as a so-called you know, highly respected guy, right? And this is someone right. who really was pushing this false information uh, into the into the media, just making a uh, you know this is it's one of the worst foreign uh, election interference campaigns in U.S. history. So, and this guy just has been perpetuating it nonstop. So, you know, when he uses the term uh, honesty, I mean, it, it really you know it's ironic to a uh, an incredible level. And, you know, again, you just have to uh, watch TV for a little while. And he's constantly out there on uh, many of the uh, TV networks, you know, continuing this as a uh, political stunt, uh, one thing right after another, as, as you correctly alluded to. What can you do with a lawmaker that does that? I mean, I know you've had lawsuits, you have lawsuits against uh, certain media outlets, for what they've done to you. I know that there's probably going to be some developments in the future, but how do you handle it when a lawmaker is targeting you in the media and then even when the truth comes out, refuses to even acknowledge the truth or even deliver just a simple apology? You know, it refuses to acknowledge that there was no conspiracy, that there is no collusion with Russia. And that Carter Page is a good man who served his country and who worked closely with uh, agencies, both the CIA and the FBI. How do you deal with that, Carter? Well, it's uh, it, 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 it suffice to say it's a it's, it's a huge challenge. And but the, there's many aspects of the challenge. I think you know as you've uh, been digging into in uh, in our uh, deep dive discussion here. You know, there's definitely personal, uh, you know, huge personal costs and challenges, you know, life or death level challenges that I've been fighting. um, Talk about about that. Talk about that. Carter, tell me what tell me some of the I know you and I have talked about it. Our listeners haven't. But can you describe what some of those some of those situations were like or maybe just one of them just getting a call, getting an email? Yeah, well, I think and uh, that's. Sort of what I was uh, briefly alluding to on March 20, 2017. So just to finish that uh, thought with uh, all this uh, DNC-funded disinformation that uh, 
uh, Congressman Schiff is saying on national te- television with his discussions with um, then Director Comey. And, you know, just a couple of hours later, I uh, I got more threatening calls, you know, um, and which I then informed the FBI about. And unfortunately, uh, you know, I think as is um, as the IG report has has shown, uh, there's some major, major problems. So, I mean, all of these threats and, you know, personal costs I've had are minuscule when compared to the national level implications of the Democrat uh, funded and Democrat advanced disinformation campaign. And I think what we have seen and what I have lived through and what President Trump and so many uh, so many loyal Americans have been dealing with for the last several years is just been continued with the uh, the Ukraine impeachment hoax where they're coming after him for just really at the end of the day, having a different perspective. You know, this is free thought. This is the core of U.S. constitutional values is you're allowed to have a free and open debate in a political context and just as a uh, free citizen. And unfortunately, by having by trying different approaches, you know, all legally, uh, when you try doing that, you know, these people, they'll try to throw uh, more disinformation out there. So unfortunately, we've been living through a continuation of that. And yes, there are huge personal costs. And I'm, you know, as you alluded to, I'm going to be taking steps to uh, resolve that uh, on the one hand. But, you know, in parallel, uh, there's a much, you know, it's, it's had just a, a huge, terrible impact on our, our country. But the good news is it's now 2020. And I think American people uh, understand the truth. And I think that's why you uh, you've had such a, uh, a huge following on your uh, your show here on Radio America and, uh, you know, on, on TV as well. And I think I think people get it. And, uh, you know, it was unfortunate that we, that we had this election interference campaign paid for by the Democrats in uh, in 2016. But right. um, I, I think people get the joke now. And so, you well, know, you were saying you're I, taking steps to resolve this. I know you can't talk about a lot of it. You and I talk a lot off the record. We talk a lot on background, on the record and as friends. Um, but can you talk a little bit around like you're taking steps to resolve this? What does that mean? Yeah, I think, you know, there were Again, similar. So, I mean, there was another aspect of all this. So while this Democrat-funded disinformation campaign is pumping uh, falsehoods and Russian uh, lies into the, uh, into the mainstream media and into the U.S. intelligence community, in parallel with that, the FBI and the DOJ, beginning under the President Obama administration, we're feeding this into the United States Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a, a top secret court where, you know, if there's uh, terrorists or people who are agents of a foreign power, they, uh, you know, the, the U.S. government can come after them and, uh, and you know, get warrants to uh, first government surveillance round-the-clock surveillance, and that's, as we now know, uh, through, you know, some of the investigations by 
Senate Judiciary Committee under uh, Chairman uh, Chairman Grassley and Chairman Graham, and and also uh, by the House Intelligence Committee with uh, uh, Chairman Chairman Nunes back in 2018 with their uncovering some of these uh, uh, these abuses. You know, we now know that all this disinformation was fed into a U.S. federal court. So unfortunately, there has been a continuation of that over the years since. So there are four uh, false warrants that were submitted uh, to spy on me and spy on uh, members of the Trump campaign, Trump transition team and Trump administration. But in parallel, you know, the DOJ, I've had a couple of initial lawsuits where, you know, I've explained this to federal courts. And unfortunately, you know, working on my on my own, trying to uh, fix this mess. uh, Unfortunately, the U.S. Department of Justice, the local New York lawyers in uh, the Southern District of New York, kept giving, you know, false pleadings to to, uh, you know, a federal court up in uh, up in New York. So unfortunately, you know, I uh, I've uh, run up against some problems, you know, to make a long story short and to not get too into the weeds on the legal specifics. Uh, but I am, I'm definitely taking some important app, uh, actions and I've got a, uh, great team of, uh, great legal experts who are helping, helping me on that. And I, I've been literally working around the clock with our, our team, um, over the last several, uh, days and weeks and uh, last couple of months. And as I think as you correctly alluded to, I'll, I'll have more to say about that uh, real soon. But as uh, so it's almost know, like a cliffhanger, soon. like a teaser, like you're coming at you're going to bring something forward. We don't know when, but it'll be soon. Right, Carter? Well, yeah. And I, look, I, I think people have teased stuff for a long time, unfortunately, teased falsehoods. And, you know, you gave the example of uh Congressman Adam Schiff, right? And he's always saying, well, there's, you know, you're going to get evidence of collusion. It's coming. It's coming. You know, the, the only difference here is last month was an important historic turning point where that blockbuster initial tip of the iceberg inspector general report from the U.S. Department of Justice, um, led by Inspector General Horowitz, who is an Obama appointee, um, you know, that really started uncovering just how egregious all these all this criminal activity was to, uh, you know, this election uh, inf- interference and uh, media disinformation. And, well, and now we so. know and now we know not just Michael Horowitz's blockbuster report, but John Durham, the prosecutor from Connecticut, Attorney General William Barr, have an ongoing criminal probe into this. And they and I'm going to just because I know you're going to have to run shortly. I want to jump to this really quick because I think this is very important because you're central to a lot of this and even this criminal probe. The FBI, just so our listeners know, contends that they started this investigation into the Trump campaign on July 31st. It was called the Crossfire Hurricane um, investigation. That was their kind of secret code for this investigation. That was very, very small group of high level officials at the FBI. Uh, They contend it was because of George Papadopoulos who was also a Trump campaign advisor, didn't spend a lot of time with the Trump campaign. We'll go into his story later on a future podcast. But what we're seeing now is information that's come out 
um, in, in not only in the inspector general's report, but there's contention with what some of the FBI agents actually told Horowitz because uh, there's a, an exclusive. Actually, it's in the Federalist. It's a great story um, where you raise questions about uh, some of the inaccuracies, not necessarily on Horowitz's part, but on the part of the people that he interviewed with regard to Stefan Halper. And I really need you, Carter, to explain really quick Stefan Halper and and uh, for the audience to understand that Stefan Halper was a Cambridge um, uh, a seminar. He ran the Cambridge seminar. Uh, he was in contact with multiple people that were being investigated by the FBI, Carter Page, uh, George Papadopoulos, Sam Clovis. Um, so now it appears that he was actually connecting way before that, something we all ex- suspected, that there may have been a chance that he was targeting all of you. Yeah, and again, and this is another great example, and it goes back to the... the oh, also Michael struggle. Flynn. I don't want to leave yeah, that out. And Michael Flynn and well, Svetlana Lakova. He's, you know, it's it's just such a, a tragedy that um, the uh, what so many people have gone through. But, you know, I, I think... Those uh, those inaccuracies, and you know, it's it's an, another example of what we were talking about earlier about so many uh, missing links and how much there's so much partial information out there. So there are you know government. I mean, there is a U.S. Congress has passed laws saying that uh, you know if the government has a system of records about someone, then you should be able to provide input. To it, and you know, make sure that it's uh, uh, it's you know to review it and ask for corrections. Unfortunately, I was never allowed to do that as part of the Inspector General report. So you know, you know, as as you correctly alluded to, there's a lot of uh, inaccuracies therein, and uh, you know, I think that example you just gave to, uh, is is uh, a core exa- um, core uh, representation of that. Uh, I just, you know, there is, as you, as you, uh, as we, you and I have been saying uh, for a long time, there's, there's just a lot more information uh, that needs to come out, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be getting, getting there soon. And I, I think, you know, that uh, the article that uh, you're alluding to, it, it raises a lot of uh, excellent questions, and I, I just, I hope we start getting some honest answers sometime soon. I mean, we've got some honest answers in the uh, in the inspector general report but it's it's very incomplete and there are many inaccuracies in there and you know part of it to just kind of boil it down for the layman who hasn't you know looked at all these legal procedures and you know all the all the down and weeds questions out there uh, you know just looking at it from the big picture perspective it's kind of a garbage in garbage out situation Right. Mm-hmm. Some of these people that they were interviewing uh, in the prior stage, you know, they uh, they're just, you know, continuing their longstanding practice of uh, false pleadings, you know, false pleadings to uh, government authorities. So um, unfortunately, I have not really been given an opportunity to, uh, you know, have those questions and controversies really considered as of yet. But I think, you know, as we're uh, as we're both alluding to, uh, there's going to be much more to uh, to say about that real soon. Have you 
and I don't know if you can answer this, but have you been interviewed yet by the DOJ, by uh, Connecticut prosecutor um, John Durham? I have spent over 30 hours in tons of interviews with the FBI in front of the Mueller witch hunt special counsel investigation too. And uh, I, my, I have always been willing to help whenever I can. Unfortunately, you know, going back to that example of those March 2017 meetings that I had with uh, the FBI agents, um, you know, during the, the height of the FISA abuse, uh, a lot of the things I was telling them were not fully reflected and they kept uh, submitting these false uh, affidavits signed by Mr. Comey and uh, Rod Rosenstein and guys like that. So um, I, I've always been open and suffice to say, I'm, I'm happy to help, uh, uh, you know, resolve these severe injustices to the greatest extent possible. But you um, answered that so. very well and you went right around the question, Carter, which is fine. <laughs> well, yeah. well I, again, You're really I, good. Open and I'm, I'm uh, you know, similar to. Uh, you know, the work I've done for the intelligence community, I'm, uh, and, you know, and my, my caution, right? I think these are highly sensitive, highly historic matters, and I'm always uh, willing to help, and, uh, and I have continued to help. Let's just uh, put it that way. Well, that, that's really good. I'm going to give you this last opportunity because I know we only have a few minutes left with you. What do you want to tell the American people? What would you like for them to understand when people say, how does this affect me? I know how it affects every night. I try to say it on Fox. This is fourth amendment issues. These are, this is our constitution. Can you, in your own words, because I believe you're, you, you represent this nation in such a way. This is such a much bigger case, just as you said. Um, what does this case mean to you and for our country? Well, I, I think, you know, Sarah, as you're as you're correctly alluding to and as you've said for years through your excellent reporting and the reporting of uh, a small handful of colleagues that you've collaborated with uh, in the media. You know, this has been a just a terrible uh, ab- abuse and misconduct uh, and just really a terrible unchecked surveillance power uh, to take down a uh, a a president and to, you know, damage core institutions of America. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a partisan issue. And, you know, this is, uh, it's really about uh, protecting uh, and preserving citizens and constitutional rights. So do you you think we're ever going to get to that day? Do you think we're ever going to find resolution and gain our faith and trust back in these institutions in such a way that we can move forward as a nation and maybe end this horrific partisan divide? Well, I, you know, I've, uh, I've always been an optimist. Sometimes it's, uh, it's cost me dearly uh, because I'm sometimes too optimistic and trusting. I think we do have strong leadership now in terms of uh, uh, the U.S. Attorney General Barr and in the White House. And hopefully uh, these people who have done so much damage to destroy our institution and institutions and also uh, create a lot of political damage for the president and his administration 
Um, I'm I'm hopeful, uh, but we're going to have to wait and see. And I think, you know, again, critically, it's it's so important for, uh, you know, all the work you've been doing. And, you know, I'm hoping that now, you know, people have been so severely discredited uh, in the in the, across the mainstream media that they start following your personal example and, uh, you know, start telling the truth for once. So. Amen to that. From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carter Page, for being on the show. I I invite you back and I expect you to break your big news on this podcast, right? I I tell the you know to tell the listeners, I think I have an idea what it is, but I'm not gonna guess and I'm not gonna talk. I'm gonna let Carter do it himself and or at least yeah. come back on the show and talk about it in detail. You, you what you've done for this country is enormous. I think Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being such a great American, for being such a great person, and for standing up to some of the most powerful people in the world, actually, and not letting them bring you down and getting the truth out so that the American people know it. Thank you so much, Carter. Well, yeah, well, again, thanks thanks to you, Sarah, and you've, uh, you've been an essential force to uh, that survival process, and uh, a lot more work to do, so it's going to be a exciting 2020 and uh, period to come. So again, huge thanks to you as well. Thank you so much, Carter. Always willing to fight alongside a great patriot. What an incredible interview with Carter Page. Truly an American patriot and I welcome Carter Page back on the show. I told him I want him back on before the end of the month. I want him here to tell us, to update us on everything that he's doing. Again, Carter Page is at the center of one of the most historical, and I can't emphasize this enough, most historical uh, 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 situations in modern political history. There's no other way around it. He really is um, at the apex of all of this. That was good. I learned a lot today. I, I feel like I, I – did you – I mean, Jenny, did you feel like you learned more about who Carter Page was? I mean, can you believe what's happened to him? I think so because if you follow, like you talked about with him, the mainstream media, you would think he's some monster. That's right. That's right. Adam, you didn't – did you know a lot about Carter Page before Nothing. he came on the air? Really not a lot at all. What, what went through your mind when you – Heard him. Uh, I just it makes me afraid to trust anything that I hear. I'm so glad for outlets, you know, like ours here where I listen to you talk and I just you've been it. You've been there. You've lived it. So it's just nice to have somewhere I can go where I trust what I'm hearing because you hear stories like this and it makes me want to give up on politics in general. I know it's a sad situation. I mean, we can't do that, though, as Americans. I know we feel it. I know we're frustrated. Uh, but I promise you we'll keep fighting the fight here and we'll keep bringing you the truth straight from the people who make news, straight from the people who make news, because you need to hear it from them. And thank God Carter Page is, has his name back. Um, it's not been fully restored. I believe that uh, there's going to be vindication for him, uh, and I know that there's more news on that front coming up. Let's have some fun here. Let's just have some fun, right? Jenny, Adam, let's have fun. Because I asked everybody at the beginning of this podcast, please send your tweets. Please let me know what you're thinking. Jenny has put out, you know, a tweet asking everybody to send their comments. So we're going to go ahead and read them. I have not seen any of them yet, but Jenny has. And I'm sure Jenny picked some of the best and the brightest or maybe some of the funniest. Jenny, do you mind? Absolutely. Okay, so first I have Junior. He says, what? Junior. You have a podcast? What? Junior, 
How did you not know? No, it's okay, Junior. It's it's just starting. We're doing great. It's the Sarah Carter Show. Yes, I do have a podcast. And you are more than welcome to listen to it. And maybe one day you'll be a caller on our show. Who knows? Thanks so much. Okay, so getting into the impeachment, we have Fletch who says, I feel this impeachment isn't about like not liking Trump. I feel that the Democrats are afraid of him exposing their corruption. Why do you think these Democrat politicians have become millionaires while during their time in office? Yes. Mm-hmm. A question we've all been asking every day. How do you become a millionaire when you're serving the people? Interesting. Read Peter Schweitzer's books. Right on the money, you'll see exactly how these guys made all their dough and how they continue to make it. And sometimes it's just not illegal. It's just opportunity. And uh, there are no laws to stop it. So great, great tweet. Great tweet. Great okay. tweet. Great, great tweet, sir. Very nicely great done. Great tweet. Twitter. <laughs> great next tweet. <laughs> what the heck? You know, this is when you need water, folks. When you start calling... Twitter, twit, tweets. I don't know. Whatever. Okay, so next we have Chuck. He says, my thoughts on Durham. Let's get this party started. Yes, I want him to be thorough, but Brennan, Comey, Strzok, Page, McCabe, etc. should all be in jail. Some have even admitted lying. Arrest them. We are losing patience and faith that justice will ever come. And I think a lot of people here are very frustrated with how long this is taking. Oh, I I feel the same way. I mean, I've been doing this now for years uh, on my entire focus. My career shifted and changed after starting to break stories on uh, on the Russia saga, the Russia sham, Russia gate. I mean, there's so many words for it now. We all know now the truth because a lot of us, and particularly members of Congress, um, what was the name of the, the person that issued that tweet? Because I think it's important. I do. This one is from Chuck. From Chuck. So, Chuck, I want to talk directly to you because I think you're speaking for so many people in this country. Things take time. It seems like this has taken forever. I think that we are just lucky that we know the truth right now. And I do believe that John Durham is going to hold people accountable. You know, this is something that a lot of people don't realize and don't know. But John Durham, John Durham does not have to issue a report, and he probably will not issue a report. This is a criminal probe. What John Durham will do is issue indictments, and I believe that is coming. And I believe that it is just the tip of the iceberg what we know. And the reason it's taking him this long to get things done is because more and more information keeps surfacing. He's already been to Italy. He's been to England. He's been here in the United States. He's been questioning. And I can tell you this, guys, he has been questioning folks over at the CIA that are working there right now. And they are nervous as heck, according to my sources. And that means John Brennan, too. So let's go to one more and let's uh, wrap it up. Okay, I have Ron John here. He says, you and your podcast, both awesome, amazing, hard eyes emoji. Whoa, hard eyes emoji. I'm loving it. Okay, I, I got to tell you, thank you so much because I feel the same way. You won't believe this, but I hardly ever sleep. It seems like it. I work all day and night. And one thing I enjoy, like, you know, even as I'm, you know, getting home and I'm trying to wind down as I go through all of your tweets. I try to read as many of them as possible. You actually I, read them? You read I actually them? do. I actually do. I, I like them. I'm tweeting out all the time. And 
I'm, you know, Adam, I, I just love it because I feel so connected to the people that follow me. And I really care about, you know, about America. I care about my nation. I care about the people here. I, I've always loved people. And I'm a people person, so it means a lot to me when I see these. So thank you so much. I'm going to continue with the podcast. Also, if you have any ideas out there, like what we could do as far as segments, what you would want to hear, that's what I want to know because I would love to try it out. I mean, we're here to experiment. We're here to have fun. We're here to see what works. And please follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. This is The Sarah Carter Show. I am coming to you from Radio America. Right out here in Arlington, near beautiful Washington, D.C. swamp. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I look forward to talking with you again.